0: Welcome to the YVR screen scene podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. And today I am so, so happy to welcome Simone Bailey to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Woo! She's waving her arms, she's dancing. Oh, man, these moments that I wish we were a video podcast. Okay, here comes the thesis statement. It's rare that we get to hear from a multi hyphenate, as multi hyphenated as Simone Bailey. Simone is a screen actress, a stage actress a painter, a singer, a DJ, a talk show host, a producer, a model, a sci-fi fan, and a fan favorite. In short, Simone is an artist in the truest sense of the word, although perhaps nowhere is her versatility more on display than when acting for the screen. Simone's lengthy filmography includes Battlestar Galactica, NCIS Los Angeles, The L Word, a series regular role on Da Vinci City Hall, Smallville, a popular appearance in the Need for Speed Most Wanted video game, and the fan favorite role of kal a Jaffa warrior who joins the Hactal Resistance on Stargate SG-1. Recently, Simone entered the talk show realm as the host and producer of the Simone Bailey show on YouTube, which features Simone in conversation with beloved screen artists like Tom O'Pennicott, Roger Cross, Candice McClure, our mutual friend Sharon Taylor, and her colleagues from the Need for Speed universe. So, today we are going to talk with Simone about her multi hyphenated life, where she's wielded her mad multi hyphenate skills, where she derives her multi hyphenated inspiration, and where she's itching to take us next. Simone Bailey. Hi. Welcome. Wow, Welcome thank to the Wild Bear Screen Scene podcast. I'm excited to finally have you here I mean there I mean we're not in the same space you know pandemic at all (laughs) which kind of brings me to my first question it's like it's a big big question in this pandemic age
1: how are you I am really great But I will also take this opportunity to be honest about where I've been. Because I feel like in this day and age, we all really appreciate honesty and authenticity. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to come clean that, um, yeah, it's been obviously a very challenging time for everyone mm-hmm. um obviously with the pandemic and social injustice et etc 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 uh and we just keep getting hammered by everything constantly uh so my heart goes out to each and every one of uh your listeners uh, and everyone out there um so amongst all of that um i also had uh an insane number of people pass away in my life um oh, both so young bad. and old from sickness uh and other uh, tragedies yeah. uh, so that definitely took its toll and then even in addition to that um i I kind of want to talk about this a little bit just to clear up for the fans because I think a lot of people wondered where I've been for the last couple of years. Yes. And so I found myself in a, uh unwanted divorce that I didn't really understand why it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, of course, as the proceedings went, it became a little more illuminated as to perhaps why. So I have been in a really unrelenting court battle for the past two-plus years, and I am just on the tail of it. And um, it was really quite a challenging time for me because I chose to be very private about it and not really, you know, put it on my sleeve and do the Dear Diary posts. Um, I just kind of went very uh, insular in yeah. that time. And I have to say as much as it figuratively and literally brought me to my knees, um, both financially, uh, emotionally, all, all the things, um, it was an incredible time of empowerment and discovery mm. for me. And in that time, there were these people that came into my life as friends. It was just like a handful of people and they, I call them my angels and they just reminded me who the fuck I am. Yes. Powerful. (laughs) And how powerful I am. And just were such champions for me and my cheerleaders and got me through such a, a, just a very, very difficult time in my life. And I, um, I kind of am now. I call it my Rocky montage, you know, like, I mean, yeah, the, yeah. I'm in the, yeah. I'm That's why the, you got the hoodie and we're doing the interview. You're sitting on some <laughs> stairs and
0: stuff about is you're going to run up the stairs now. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so I think, you know, I compared it a lot to the transformation of a butterfly, right? The caterpillar mm-hmm. basically has to turn to mush yeah. before it emerges the butterfly. So the last two and a half or two plus years have been the mush. Um, and I definitely spent a lot of time, uh, reflecting and deep, doing some deep, deep, uh, soul searching work. Um, luckily also during the pandemic, another gift was I was invited to this online. It was like a meditation group, but we'd also talk about, um, just how to live a better life, things like that. It was more like Buddhist based, yeah. um, And I grew up with a lot of Buddhist influence, so it definitely was um, very uh, beneficial to me. So there was just a lot of really great things that popped into my life, and I'm just so, so grateful for all that. And um, to anyone out there that is struggling, and I had many, 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 many times. Where I did not want to go on, I did. I just wanted all the pain to stop. Yeah. Um, it was just circumstantial. I was just in a really bad spot that I didn't understand why it was happening. But um, you know, my friend said to me, "You think this is a curse? This is actually a blessing. Mm-hmm. This is meant to position you to where you, you're supposed to go." And. I really had to just trust and believe that it will get better, and it really did. And so if anyone's experiencing a hard time, just know, like, nothing is is permanent. It's all temporary, and it will get better.
0: Whenever we, we share what we've gone through, especially the tumultuous, turbulent times, you know, you're you're helping other people see that. Nope, there's hope. And we're in the goo part of our caterpillar journey, you know, but yes, we can come out like butterflies. And honestly, I also believe there are always angels. There are always people and they might be in unexpected places. So yeah, they,
1: they look, look for the helpers. And, and definitely yeah. that, that was the case. Yeah. So I, I feel actually I'm in the butterfly uh, beginnings of, of that. So
0: fantastic. Um,
1: I'm feeling good. And the other thing I will say is as a female, I think for a lot of times I would default to the male partner to always do certain things in the household. Mm -hmm. Well when you're on your own, it's so empowering to pull out the drill and like do all those kind of fix it things and the maintenance and all that. And I I just fucking worked it like a boss and I was so proud of myself. I went from feeling so disenfranchised to feeling finally capable and strong and just in all ways. And I gotta say that my auditions that I were uh, that I was putting out during that time had diff like newer levels of depth that I even shocked myself. Yeah. I was like, whoa, who is this person now?
0: Wow. This yeah, is amazing. So
1: yeah, there was so, a lot of uh, really amazing benefits from that time. I, I do want to hear like you
0: getting out your drill and your hammer and ah, what, were so, like, <laughs> what, what was like a moment like when you are like fixing something or putting something together and stuff like can, can you like name a specific like household thing that you did where you were well, like, wielding your tools
1: and stuff. Okay, well, we all have that uh, fire alarm that chirps, and you have to figure out which one in the house it is, and then mm-hmm. you have to get up to the ceiling, which my ceilings are quite high, mm-hmm. and try to figure it out, and then, oh, do you even have that big battery? But it was just a string of things, so it was that, and it was the changing the lights, and it was, you know, fixing the door, and da 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 like, it was just a whole... Um, Barraged of things that I had to do, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> it so yeah.
0: And, and you amazing. were capable. <laughs>
1: you were able yeah. to
0: do it. And now you have all these other labels that you we can add. But when, when I talk about what a multi hyphenate you are, you know, yeah,
1: but empowered and up. a
0: survivor. You know, like that's those yeah. are two big labels, right?
1: Yeah, and it's flipping that perspective of thinking that you can't automatically do something. And all of a sudden I found myself itching to like, Oh, I'm going to paint the deck. Oh, I'm going to do this. And then every single thing became a new badge for me. Yeah, And uh, it's like, cool. And when I see other people like, Oh, I don't know how to whatever. I'm like, dude, do it yourself. Like it's so. Yeah. yeah it's,
0: do it, it's make hard. mistakes, break it even, you know, but, but learn and because you are capable you know, and you yep. might fuck up a whole bunch, but you are absolutely capable. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. Um yeah. you, ready, you ready to get back in the in the way back machine? We'll do some time Let's travel. Do it. Yeah. So I guess the, the question that I'm asking now mm. is where does your story start? Where do you think your story as a multi hyphenate artist start. You know, like take us back to a moment in your childhood where you were Simone in your purest, most distilled form.
1: Right. I would so I was born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And in Calgary I loved playing music, but I was also it's interesting. I have a brother who's eight years older than me, so that's a bit of a gap. And I always wanted to play with him and his friends, and he wanted nothing to do with me, but often (laughs) was stuck babysitting me, right? Mm -hmm. So I grew up pining after, always wanted to hang out with the boys, and of course, later in life, then I was welcome to hang out with the boys, but for different reasons. So anyway, as a child, I one of the, the... things I used to do is I used to put on Japanese kitaro music. So just imagine like pan flutes and kind of just very yeah. like, you know, instrumental based music. And I used to put on a red, um, like a bathing one piece bathing suit and my red cardigan sweater and my little red Chinese shoes. And I'd have a red ribbon and I would ribbon dance. And it was just something that I made up. Right. And I just yeah. found so much <laughs> joy and ribbon dancing as a child. And that was a place of bliss for me. And my parents would just kind of let me do whatever. Um, I loved singing and dancing. Every time my folks took me to a restaurant, I would be, they would have to come chase me because I'd be on somebody's lap sitting and eating their food or <laughs> laughing or giggling. Like now it would be a very different kind of situation. But, you know, back yeah. then, you know. <laughs> when yeah, you can't do that. You can do it
0: for and under. You can't go around sitting on people's lap as an adult eating their food, you know, yeah. unless it's something that they've wanted and you get consent and stuff and then it's fine. But yeah, that's adorable. Wow, so you and were pretty then- like nonstop performing, outgoing all the time.
1: Yes. And I would go, you know, if we were at a restaurant, I'd go to the restroom and wipe all the counters and do a little show in the mirror. Um, And then I got into school plays. And I remember back in third grade, there, there was this boy that I had the biggest crush on. His name was CJ. And he got cast as my nephew in the play and i was his aunt um and i got to kiss him even though it was an aunt to a nephew but i was very very excited there was lip to skin
0: touching (laughs) i mean that it was a big deal
1: so (laughs) so that was really cool um and i grew up my grandfather was a fairly well-known jazz musician back in calgary he did Hmm. a lot of shows um and you know played even in the war and things like that um so I grew up around a lot of music and show business and, and just kind of that that fun life. Um, I remember being completely smitten. So my gateway to acting was the movie Grease. Once I saw that movie on TV, I was just enamored. The Who did you costume, want to be? You know, I just love them all. I mean, yeah. I think I... I'm a little Sandy, but she sometimes is frustrating because she's such a prude in the beginning, (laughs) but I I almost feel like a fusion of Frenchie and Sandy, oddly. Frenchie and Sandy. Yeah. Like not a Rizzo.
0: Not a Rizzo. Rizzo. Okay. Okay. I mean, I was sitting here talking to you you? a few times. Yeah. A couple of times. Um, Frenchie. Frenchie was our beauty school dropout. Okay.
1: So you're well, she's so helpful and cheery and sunny and fun. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. So then,
0: so you're, you're growing up and you're watching movies and you're sitting on people's laps. And I know I'm getting the timeline. You're kissing <laughs> your nephew and all these things. Um, was there a moment when you said you made the declaration, maybe after wiping down the counter and saying it to the mirror, that I am going to be a performer? when I grow it was,
1: up. It was when I saw the movie Grease. Yeah. It was the energy and the characters and just, um, it looked like they were having so much fun. I wanted to plug into that mm. and be be part of that because it was everything that I always felt like I was inside.
0: Did you have an idea of the kind the kind of performer, the genre of performer that you wanted to be? Or was there like somebody's career... You know, who, like, did you want to be, oh, gosh, what's her name? Who played Sandy? Olivia Newton-John, you know? Or, or, like, what did you want to, specifically, did you want to
1: do? Or were you just, like, open to be,
0: like, well, go, do whatever happens?
1: I remember growing up, I didn't like my first name, Simone. I wished my name was Susan. And now I do not wish my name was Susan. I think, you know, when I was growing up, um, back then, all it seemed like the coveted body was the blonde bombshell. And Mm. I always thought, Oh, you know, I want to get my boobs done and do all, you know, I have real boobs, but you know, all those things I thought that I had to, to try to be. And I think back then too, um, most actors coveted a feature film career. That was the big ticket. You wanted to be in the big blockbusters, but as life has evolved, um actually TV is is a little more sometimes where it's at and yeah. my career did evolve into a t- pre- predominantly TV career.
0: Yeah. I mean obviously
1: I've done ads and I've done features and movies of the week and video games. Yeah. But um I've been incredibly fortunate with my career.
0: Yeah. So what do you think childhood you would think mm. of the opportunities that you've had and the performing opportunities specifically that you've had in over the
1: course of your journey
0: to date because
1: we're still doing it yeah i think there's two things going on with me specifically i feel like i am aware of how much access i have to different characters and how Mm. open i am like i was fortunate in life to be very well traveled well educated Mm. Um, And I'm incredibly observant. And I've just had a lot, a lot of life experience all over the map and a skill, lots of skill sets that a lot of people would be quite surprised that I can do certain things. So there's part of me that believes I, I really have the potential for greatness. But there's another part of me that is an underlying thing that stems from my childhood. And it still is a Parents to this day, which is, I do feel like an underdog. Mm-hmm. I always am pleasantly surprised when I'm seen by people. Oh. Um, it, yes. no, I love that they see me, and when yeah. people do, I'm like, oh, finally, someone who notices. Yeah. Um, and I've had, you know, situations where a screenwriter changes the whole feature film script uh, in relation to my character to cater to what I brought to the audition in a wonderful way, which is so cool. And um, yeah. And and I've been one of those people that fortunately I start out sometimes as a one episode character and then it evolves into a series regular. So those kinds of things are just so um, rare, I feel. And I'm constantly pinching myself. This is, this has just been a a really great career for me.
0: Yeah. So what was your first time on set? You know, what do you remember about it? And my favorite part of this question, what mistakes, if any, did you make?
1: Um, I think one of my first roles that I can remember, it was more the audition I remember because I had come from professional theater. I, I was someone who did go to, uh, Theater school, and I auditioned against 150 applicants to get into a 12 person spot. And then oh. after school, I, you know, did the Shakespeare Company tour and, and all that stuff, and did professional theater for quite some time, um, and then got into film. And so I auditioned for this show, uh, The Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. And it was just like an administrator role, right? Often when people start out, it's usually like receptionist or you know things like yeah. that. So I went out for this part and the whole room was full of men and women auditioning for this part. Hmm. And you know they were just kind of throwing noodles to the wall. It was just, they didn't know what they were looking for. And I, yeah. I looked around and I thought, there is no way I'm gonna get this part. There's so many people auditioning for this and i went in and i did my thing and i booked it and i was like ah, that's crazy like <laughs> they picked me like i'm always so shocked but i'm you know pleasantly surprised that they picked me so i show up on set and at the time blair witch the Blair Witch Project, the feature film, it was like a horror feature, uh, was one of the hottest movies. And so the actress, who's the kind of runny nose girl in that movie, if anyone remembers. <laughs> yeah. Had what a great Donahue. way to describe that role.
0: Yes. I know exactly
1: who you're talking about. Runny nose yeah. girl from Blair Witch. Yeah. You get the yeah. instant visual, yeah. right? So <laughs> Heather Donahue is the actress's name. So she was the guest star on that, on that uh, episode. And I just felt like I was part of something. Mm. And I just, I just love that. Like, you just feel like you're plugging into something really important and special. Yeah. So that was the beginning for me. Yeah. yeah. And, and what was so cool, actually, about that is, and this is why you always want to keep good relations um, with everybody, because that director, I later re-saw down the road once I was on Stargate Mm. SG-1. And he was doing another episode. He wasn't doing mine. And I said, Ken, I have to tell you something. And he said, what? I said, you were the very first director that hired me for a TV show. And he's like, really? And I said, yes. And now I am in my third season of Stargate SG-1. And it's all thanks to you. And he's like, oh, you just made my day. And it was so cool to have that circle moment with, with a director. That's,
0: that's incredible. Yeah. And relationships are such an important part too, of, mm-hmm. of not just like navigating, this industry but also like surviving it you know and also like you know dealing with all the different challenges and having people to celebrate with like what kind of role have have relationships you know and i i mean frankly i'm also thinking about specifically our our girl Sharon Taylor who i know that you're you're very good friends with uh, as well yeah. you know like but, but like having that that like community around you like what what role has have has your your film community your tv community you know played in, in, in making it and surviving in this career
1: I would say Stargate SG1 um, that family because mm. <laughs> it is a family yeah. I would say that family has been really really special um, and the fans also because we can people are still watching that show and it's yeah. great to see multi-generations of people that the grandparents the parents and the kids all watch it Um, I am one of those actors that get flown all over to do conventions and meet the fans and sign autographs. Um, And I do paintings and and, uh, sell those also to the fans. So it's really special. And also because I was still fairly green in my acting career when I first stepped on that set. And once you get the familiarity of being on set and there's the technical aspect and then there's the um, off-camera aspect Mm of the fun in between takes. Um, It was a joy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit more about about that joy. And let's talk specifically about the character that you got to play, a very powerful character, um, Kal-El. How did this character challenge you and what did you get to do as Kal-El that you hadn't done before?
1: Oh, wow. Um, a lot of things. So there's a lot of layers to that answer. Um, firstly, what was so great about that role was it was written and created by one of the lead actors, Christopher Judge, who actually hmm. just reached out to me yesterday, speaking of family. He's like, I miss you, so uh, that's very nice. Uh, but yeah, so um, it was great to be created by him, and he obviously had such a depth uh, of knowledge of the show, so that was really great. He took really good care of me. I felt like he, as the actor of all, like I got to work with all of the leads, mm-hmm. and they are all incredible, but he specifically really took me under my under his wing, and even technically, uh, when we were in certain scenes, and you know, those guys are on a major, major show, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm just kind of popping in, and uh, you know, maybe I was a little sheepish in the beginning because I was so green, and Chris would just like guide me, um, you know, even with eyelines, like technical things when we mm-hmm. were on set. Um, and then just the more and more episodes I did with those guys, the more days I did, I just became really more comfortable with everyone and the crew and the directors and everyone's hugging you and happy to see you. Um, the character also was really great because I love playing fierce, strong, badass women. Um, but especially, you know, when they're authentic and grounded as well. Yeah. I don't typically love victimy roles, mm-hmm. um, so this was a really great opportunity to to play a female warrior woman on an all female planet, um, and we were doing good things. We were saving. Uh, Female babies from being killed, um, so there's kind of you know its own depth there. Yeah. And then as the seasons evolved for me, so I was uh, during the course of season seven, eight, and nine on Stargate SG One. By the third season, I somehow rose up in the ranks. And I was the leader of my planet, (laughs) which sounds so crazy. But that was really exciting for me. And the actors that I got to act opposite. So I remember watching a feature film called Enemy Mine years ago. And it had this fantastic actor, uh, Lou Gossett Jr. Mm -hmm. So he was one of the guest stars in these these uh, later episodes in season nine. And there I was like literally standing up to him and we were having these epic scenes. And I just thought, Holy shit. Like, I can't believe that I am like right up there with this actor. He's yeah. a powerhouse, you know, and Tony Amendola and all these people. Like there's just, it just amazed me. Yeah. 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 What we'll would people on the
0: outside of sci-fi be surprised to learn about making sci-fi? Um,
1: well, one of the funny stories I have is, you know, Christopher Judge was such a goofball. So, of course, all of these scenes are very dramatic and heavy and we've got flames and fire and, you know, the lighting is all epic and dark. Um, but in between takes, everyone is making fart jokes and, like, you know, I have a, I'm have one of those people, I'm deathly allergic to nuts and Chris Um. was eating pistachios not knowing that I'm deathly allergic and he just was being like kid at the back of the classroom and he just started chucking um, nuts at me and I'm like you know, trying to duck and weave like, no, stop, stop. And he's like laughing. The more I duck and weave, I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm going to die. And he's still laughing. I'm, so, and then also he'd like flash me his underwear, uh, under his robe. I mean, not in a me too way, just in the, yeah. like, <laughs> like, it's just a really like everyone is so goofy and funny. Yeah. And I even remember Peter Deloy who's such a joy to work with as a director. Mm. Um, he was one time, directing uh three of the background performers he just needed very serious looks like as if they were looking at each other and contemplating a decision with the council but while he's talking them through it he's like okay so you're trying to figure out who farted you look to the left was it that guy no you look to the right was it that guy? smells really bad Ooh, give it a sniff okay you know just the way that he would direct was so funny so I could literally, that, you, I
0: could hear Peter as you were saying that.
1: So that <laughs> is one thing that the fans might not know is how totally ridiculous the, the show is when the cameras aren't rolling. And that's a real joy, though, when you can keep it still really professional. It's a well-oiled machine. The show was incredibly uh, Uh, efficient with their time, Mm -hmm. often, and here's another thing people might not know, I was often given one to three takes max, and then they would move on, and that is Uh. actually quite rare for TV. Normally, you might get, I don't know, let's say, I don't know what it is these days, but it's like, let's say, five to seven takes, or something like that. You get a few takes, right? But often when they would just, they do one take and they'd be like, okay, great, we're moving on. I was like, what, are you sure you got it, right? <laughs> um, Wow. So, but you know, you, everyone gets to go home to their family at a reasonable time and yeah. you still have a show that is still beloved to this day. It's still streaming now. I mean, yeah. so that's what's fantastic is when you have, can have a really great work environment and still be professional and still make great TV.
0: Yeah. Or whatever you're making. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and obviously they found a formula of production that worked because they created more than 300 episodes of television right between all the different series. I mean, I've been to GateCon. I've been to Amanda's uh, convention in England. Mm. I've I've met a lot of the actors and a lot of the fans who are so dedicated, who hold the series and all of the creatives, you know, in such high regard. What is it about Stargate, in your opinion? Like, what is that ingredient, you know, within all of the Stargate shows that have Mm -hmm. made it? so beloved, that makes people still like, want to come out and talk about it and hear from the actors. And, you know, cause it's, it is so special. And I'm sure that there are like, you know, producers and showrunners and networks who are like, okay, like, what is it? Like, we need, we need to know what it is because we want that too. You know, we want that too. Cause not, I mean, the bulk of, of shows, they do not get, you know, that incredible run and, you know, that incredible passion from the fans? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think it all starts with compelling, relatable characters. Mm. And they did an excellent job of balancing drama and still having the levity there, the comedy, the action. I mean, I think it ticks a lot of boxes. It's a great hour of your time of escapism. Mm. So you can go to another world. You never know when you go through the gate where you're going to end up what what time I mean you could be in 1969 you could you know yeah. whatever um you know and they were really really they had excellent writers on that show shout out to uh Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully who were some of my favorite writers on that yeah. show I mean they did a basically like a groundhog day episode window of opportunity mm-hmm. that was really really fun yeah. um and yeah they were just having a great time and you felt like you were right there with the characters and you really cared about them. Yeah. Yeah. And some banging guest stars, banging guest stars. So good. Okay. Well, who were some of your
0: favorite guest stars then now that you mention it?
1: Well, Lou Gossett Jr. Like I say, he floored me just as an actor. Um, I got to work with Dakin Matthews, who's been in uh, a Tom Hanks movie that I can't recall right the second. Um, and I mean, Suan Braun as Hathor, and uh, oh, we love Sue you know, Ann here. The, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> the late Cliff Simon was a yeah. fantastic. Yeah, ball. I mean, it, yeah, it just everyone. everyone, everyone,
0: and Peter's dad as well. I mean, Dom DeLuise. Yes, Dom DeLuise actually appeared yes. on Stargate, which like blows my blows oh. my mind. Um, I want to talk about a different kind of role from a different genre um, and yet no, no less uh, impressive or I'm assuming impactful in your own life. And I'm talking about Constable Jan Ferris uh, oh, from wow. yeah. Da Vinci City Hall. Um, birth from the mind of the brilliant genius with the hat himself, Chris Haddock. But what did you enjoy about Jan and about working in the crime procedural realm?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So here I'll just try to list all the things I love. One that I love is, and I'll never forget this when anyone is walking onto a, especially a TV series, right, as, as an actor that's already, if the show has already been established or the group already knows each other, you know sometimes people can feel a little like you want to fit in with mm-hmm. the group. Chris Haddock is so freaking classy. Yeah. He would telephone call every single new actor and welcome them wow. to the show. So my phone rang and I answered and he's like, hello, is this Simone? I'm like, yeah, who's this? He's like, Chris Haddock. And I was like, ah! you know? um, <laughs> so I just thought that was such a classy move. And I've yeah. passed that on to other showrunner uh, execs that I know that are kind of starting out. And I say, you know what, this is a really great thing. If you have the time to do it, uh, I think it really means a lot to people to yeah. just take that moment, even if you can't call them in advance, but just like, you know, just connect with them yeah. because often when you're on set, you know, the machine is going and there's not a lot of time for that. Um, the audition process was really exciting for that because I, and now you are not supposed to do this ever, 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 but. What'd you do? What'd you do? (laughs) Well, I made sure that this was cleared. Okay. But no one who's listening ever do this, but this was way back in the day I brought in a, a fake toy gun. Right. And I cleared it in advance with, all of the casting people i cleared it with everyone who was going to be in the room everyone was very aware that it was a fake gun right and it even had the orange plastic thing on the end but the reason i brought it in instead of using a cell phone was because the scene that they had was so uh gun action heavy that it was actually very pertinent in my opinion to to doing the scene and also i just thought you would see me as so much more badass if i really do this gun like with a real gun versus a cell phone because i think you know to a degree the cell phone kind of can take you out sometimes or the finger guns can kind of take you out so again i do not recommend this to anyone please do not do what i did but this is what i did and it worked um so i walked into the room having cleared it and whatever and i started and this was a producer-director session. And Charles Martin Smith, who is a phenomenal actor from American Graffiti and The Untouchables, was mm. the director uh, who's looking at me, right? So Chris Haddock's there as well. And I start the scene. And I when I pull the gun and I start to yell, like the things I had to yell, the whole panel went back. Like they were so floored and they were like really like positively scared because yeah. they were like holy shit like they had no idea that I had that much like power in my voice just power like oh. I was not fucking around now the thing about that character which was great Chris Haddock had based it on a real life uh cop no yes yeah, so apparently there was a real life cop who was still around and she was the leader of a group of renegade, uh female cops. And the thing she loved to do was to bust all these grow ops without a warrant, beat the shit out of the sitters, trash the place. And the only reason she even got caught was because she got too cocky and they started taking Polaroids and they accidentally left a Polaroid at the scene. So, Anyway, when we were starting the series, Chris kind of writes as he goes, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're on a show, you don't know how certain actors are going to work out or chemistry or how the story's working out. Well, I was so fortunate that this, this role that was probably supposed to just be like an episode or two, I ended up becoming a series regular and not even knowing it. But here's something that a lot of people don't know. So Chris Haddock does not like his actors to have the script much in advance. You maybe have two or three days max with the script. So he doesn't want you over rehearse. He also doesn't want if he doesn't want you to know someone's going to die because he thinks that you will uh, inadvertently kind of play it. And, hmm. and and kind of forecast it. He doesn't want to see that. So it kept me as the actor on the edge of my seat because my character had a crazy, crazy story arc where she comes in super alpha, but then she gets into deep, deep shit. And like at the end, I'm like, basically I go to jail, right? So, um, and you know, and my partner dies. I mean, it was just, it's just an epic, the whole series, just so epic. Yeah. Um, that's what chris does
0: all his shows he does epic right and he's such a gentleman too so it's like where does it come from like i'm i feel like i spend a lot of my my life as a a vancouver film and tv journalist trying to figure out what makes chris haddock tick you know because i also i see him walking around the neighborhood he's got the hat on he's just lovely person you know and i'm like where does it come from? Like, wh- And what is going on in this brain under his hat?
1: I'll tell you one thing he told me. There was a day where I had an uh, epic scene, an interrogation scene opposite actor Ian Tracy, who mm-hmm. I just adore. He is a powerhouse. Oh, he yeah. has done so much uh, as a as a Vancouver actor, just as an actor. He's just amazing. I was so intimidated as an actress to be up You know, not against, but you know what I mean? In a scene with Ian Tracy, who I just- Facing
0: off with, I think is the term. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it was a really pivotal scene for my character because she's lying the whole time. So I had to play it so it's not too obvious that I'm lying, but obvious enough to the whatever. Anyway, I, I was kind of in the hallway and I just, you know, sometimes when I'm nervous, I just come out and say like, oh God, I'm so nervous. And Ian's like, are you kidding me? I'm nervous. I'm like, why would you be nervous? i like, you've done a million things. Like, I don't know. I, you know, I get nervous. And he's like, you know, I think you're great too. Anyway, so then I was talking to Chris and he he started opening up about his, his writing. And he said, you know, when I know it's good writing is when I start to cry. <laughs> and I thought, wow. Like, I can't imagine Chris Haddock crying yeah. over his own writing. Like, it moves him so much that yeah. he gets, so immersed into it. Um, yeah. I just think that's beautiful. Yeah, he's, a, he's just a, a television god. I love him. And you know what was so cool about that? So cut two years later. I'm living in Los Angeles. I go to a Breaking Bad event. I have the very fortunate opportunity to meet creator Vince Gilligan of yeah. Breaking Bad and all, all the greatest everything. So I'm talking to Vince which in itself is just like oh my god amazing yeah. um, and I am and I say to him uh, my name is Simone Bailey I'm originally from Vancouver and I said you worked a lot with my uh, former creator Chris Paddock he's like oh Chris I love Chris he's like yeah uh, I love intelligence I love Da Vinci's and I was like well I was on intelligence and I was on uh, Da Vinci's and you know what Vince said to me he goes oh I know who you are he goes um tell my casting person to bring you in for Breaking Bad. And I was like, (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right. They're going to believe that that happened. Uh, By the way, yeah, Vince Gilligan told (laughs) (laughs) me to tell you that you you have to bring me in. (laughs) So anyway, I had photographic proofs that we had met. And I I did tell my agents, I'm like, be told, you know, to pass it on. But um, I don't know that anyone believed it.
0: Um, OK, you're ready to play some favorite things. You want to play some let's favorite play things, favorite right?
1: Thing, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, we're well, clapping! Woo! OK.
1: <laughs>
0: favorite things, obviously not a game. I ask you questions. You answer from your gut. This segment was originally developed by my then nine year old, now 10 year old daughter, Mari. And uh, she feels that these questions are very revealing about who you are as an artist and as a human being. So let's see if that's true. All right. You ready? OK. Yeah. OK. Favorite song to sing alone in the car?
1: Hmm. Maybe. Okay. I'm just going to go with gut. Gut. Yeah. Blind melon change. That's that has not come up yet. That's a great answer. You know that song. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I was a, I was a teen in the nineties. Like that's totally my, yeah. All right. Favorite screen partner. James Callis. I mean, (laughs) that's a good one.
1: (laughs) That's a great
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Shona on Battlestar Galactica. I mean, Mm -hmm. what an incredible show you know, I feel like Battlestar really shows what Vancouver is capable of, you know, like that's another incredible example of, you know, what our talent can do. And I mean, it's it's perfection. I know a lot of people have rediscovered it over the course of the pandemic. And and uh, yeah, I have I had a joy with re- revisiting Battlestar, you know, after oh. I finished Tiger King, you know, I'm like, what do I watch now? You know, and so yeah. that was that was right up there um what is it what was it or is it or was it about James Callis you know uh, that
1: okay so firstly I was smitten with uh Battlestar Galactica the new series as a tv show and it was partially my gateway definitely into sci-fi television I mean what a gateway what a (laughs) gateway yes it was just a powerhouse of a show and uh you know I felt like everyone was watching it even people that weren't really necessarily into sci-fi it was a gateway show and I had auditioned and auditions try to get in um I've gone out for I think Baltar's lawyer or something like that and didn't get it and then finally I was up for the series two-part finale of the show walked in to uh director-producer session with Michael Reimer, who's a fantastic director. Um, My character had to put a match out in her mouth. It's called Eating a Match. I did it in the audition. The, the, The director was like, whoa, that's crazy. You knew how to do that. And he was just smitten, cast me. I go to set. I am so, so thrilled to be in a scene with Baltar and six who are like my favorite leads. I mean, they're all fantastic, but really I felt like their storyline was just really hit at home for me. And, uh, the depth of James Callis, uh, his acting on that show, you know, I would have given them all the Oscars, Uh, all of them, all of them. Um, and he was just such a classy professional, um, sexy man and mm-hmm. you know he's married I've had dinner with his family and kids and you know bless them uh, but there was just something and I'm not particularly old, you know typically um, super attracted to like older older men I mean not that he's that old but um, I was so attracted to him as a charismatic actor yeah. that day and as we were filming uh, at one of the takes he just laid one on me and kissed me and I in character kissed him back and it was just so hot and fixes right there and I just you know and she's so sexy and then I feel like he chose me over her so there was that dynamic we're in this gorgeous house um and just the gravity of the show and just me as a fan and me as an actor I just felt so incredible being there and then cut to years later so uh you know, a couple of years ago, I was on a series, Blood and Treasure, mm-hmm. and I get to be in a scene with him again. Yeah. And because we're in Montreal, we go out for dinners and hang out. And, you know, again, I met his family and all that. And one night James said to me, he goes, I have to tell you the story of, of you. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, when Michael Reimer cast you, he said to me, James, 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 he goes, I found a real actress for you. And he was, like, gushing about it. I'm like, what? No way. He said that about me. He goes, no, Simone, you don't understand. You know, Michael Reimer said, like, you're, you know, a real actress. You know, all this stuff. And he was so enthralled with your audition and all this stuff. And I just, I I don't know. Again, I'm just like, what? You know, it's. um, it's,
0: Incredible. uh, And it sounded like it was a very tough day at the office for you.
1: Very tough day. (laughs) Very tough day. <laughs> yeah. And it's great too, because even at conventions, you know, people get me to sign their Babel Star stuff yeah. to this day. So it's, uh, yeah. That's a, a nice, that is one of my nice
0: favorite answers to that question ever. That's up there. Mm. All right. Favorite midnight snack?
1: Ooh. <sighs> Probably pasta you know you shouldn't do it but you do it
0: (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's also it's it's about mental health too you know it's like that's a nice comfort food warm hug from the inside out i get it i get it
1: i think sometimes because i don't eat you know three square meals and sometimes i might only have a meal in a day and then it it's already you know after midnight and i'm like oh, i'm so hungry now
0: yeah yeah, And
1: you kind of just need a hug in the mug Sometimes so then you just whip up Little uh, noodles Yeah, And noodle, no. noodles make you smile
0: They yeah. they really really do um, I, I'm kind of feeling I, I a little A little attacked right now because I totally Have done that in the last few days Have like you know a, bi- a big It's a cup that has a I mean it's a cup with a handle And uh, I was late at night and uh, You know it was uh, some Angel hair pasta with a uh, A lot of uh, beyond meat in it. Um, Mm. Tasted damn good. Chili flakes on it. Yeah. Yeah. No shame. No shame. Okay. (laughs) Less about me. Let's go to your favorite things. Okay. Favorite Vancouver shot series, past or present, that you haven't appeared in yet?
1: A series of unfortunate events perfect I for that. couldn't believe that finally Vancouver had a stylized show yeah and I yeah I was living in LA at that time but I would have absolutely loved to have been part of that show yeah and Neil Patrick Harris was amazing they had a guest female Lucy Punch who killed it on that series and just the ensemble work everything it was just really really well done and the production, a perfect show
0: it looked great yeah, it was, the acting was great the story was great yeah, terrifying. The writing was so yeah.
1: witty. Ugh.
0: Yeah, there'll be another one. I, I believe. All right, we're getting down to the last couple of questions here. Um, favorite app,
1: Insta.
0: Yeah, I feel like that Insta is the one that is like best for your mental health, or oh. my mental health
1: as well. Wait. No, oh. what? What? I think I, I think I might have to go Spotify, actually.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, that works too. I was thinking of all the social media ones that Insta might oh, be the okay, best for okay. your mental health. But okay. Spotify, for sure. So what, what, like, what do you use Spotify for? Like, are you a podcast person? Is it music? Like, what are you streaming on the Spotify? Uh,
1: primarily music. So I make tons and tons and tons of playlists. I yeah. am very DJ-minded. So I've got playlists for like every single thing. You know, when you need, you know, to change your state, I've got like a hype playlist. I've got, you know, even when I was going through tough times, I've got a resilience playlist. I've got a breakup mix. I've got a DJ one. I've got hip hop. I've got tribute to Chris Cornell. I've got, you know, like all these different ones all over the place. Yeah. All different types of music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So can you give me, can you give me a song that will get me pumped up? You know, for like to go and pick up my kid from school. You know, like is this I mean I've had a long day, like I'm feeling kinda of chill, but I need to get pumped up, you know, to go do that after school walk and then attack the rest of her day
1: with energy. <laughs> uh well, just because we're playing the first that comes on your mind. There's a there's a song called Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it already. But I, think it's I know so, nothing about like, it, but I
1: love it already. I think it's like Y-E-A and then Hope. Yeah. But it's just, I don't know why. It's not a PC song, but it's just, I don't know. That's It's just a thing that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I
0: I, yeah. I love it. I love it. Hey, I listen to, um, you know, I like Big Butts. Like, you know, like that's, it doesn't have to be yeah. PC in order to like, you know, make you feel something. Okay. Well... We are reaching the end here, Simone. So let's, let us, as we wind down then, let us end with some more time travel. And I'm going to pick the moment in time. I used to leave, leave it up or like make it very vague, but I'm going to pick the moment. Okay. Let's say, let's say it's the day of your first amazing audition, you know, that, that you were telling us about, uh, before um when you when you booked that that administrative assistant or administrator role and you're like whoa if you could go back in time to that moment and give yourself some advice that would be helpful for your career journey what would you say or would you not say anything at all just let things
1: put, fall as they that- may. I think I would say something. I would say your career is going to be better than you could have ever imagined. Mm. And you need to just trust your instincts, be brave, be bold, be courageous, yeah. and be you. Mm. And have fun. Mm. Enjoy it. Yeah.
0: It sounds like you've been doing all of those things in the last little while as well being bold, being brave, being courageous, having fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much my life mantra. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's great. Well, what a joy it has been to speak with you today, to get to know you better. Um, And for sharing your authentic self with us. I, I speak on behalf of all of the listeners when I say thank you, Simone. And
1: thank you. I love the work that you're doing too. It's so great and important. And you are just such a wonderful, wonderful artist inside and out. And oh, I stop. I thank we're you. We're to have you, Sabrina. <laughs> so thank you so much. The really feeling honest.
0: is so, so mutual, Simone. Okay, so where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on the socials?
1: I am on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Pinterest at Simone Bailey. And my Bailey is spelled uh, the French spelling. So it's not the Irish cream. Yeah, Yeah. it's not the Irish cream, (laughs) L-E-Y, it's the B-A-I-L-L-Y. And then on Facebook, it is Simone Bailey uh, dash actress. And then I have my website, simonebailey.com. And then also, uh, if anyone wants autographs or paintings or uh, hangouts with me, they can go to jemmy.app slash Simone Bailey.
0: Fantastic, and we will have links to everything, including the YouTube channel, which you didn't mention, uh, in the footnotes for this episode.
1: Yes, that's at Simone Bailey YouTube, yeah.
0: Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Simone. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us today. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep these conversations going. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Firminger. And it's edited by Simon Firminger. Oh, Simona's clapping. That's Wonderful. Please follow me around in my life and clap all the time. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad to Paul Furminger for technical support and to Dane, not Furminger Devolet, poor, poor, not Furminger Dane, for the original music. Why Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene and cut. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day.